Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So we'll begin this afternoon, as promised, delving into the world of mindfulness of emotions. or mental states or moods. And this relates actually to the question someone had asked here about like also how to deal with repeating thoughts that come through and how to attend to them. So the area of attending to uh, your mental life, so not just the body but emotions and thoughts, is a very helpful area for mindfulness to bring awareness. And also, it can be a little bit harder and trickier than being with the body sometimes. Um, So first of all, because thoughts and emotions are kind of slippery things. They're not as substantially seeming as your leg pain or something like that. But it's actually really helpful for us to realize the way in which we create our world and the world in which we create, then we inhabit, and that then informs our experience. So there's this story that I like about uh, how someone uh, goes to a cave and they paint a picture of a tiger. And then they look at the picture of the tiger and they go, ah, tiger, and they run out of the cave screaming. So uh, what were they afraid of? What happened there? So they created something, and then they forgot that they created it, and then they believed in it, and then they had a reaction to it, right? Action. And it seems like a funny story, but the truth is that most people are doing that all the time in your mind. So you might notice that something happens, and then we have thoughts about it, and then we have more thoughts about it, and then more thoughts about it, and pretty soon we have created this whole world about like what might happen in this relationship, in this job, to my health, in this next election, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And then we inhabit that world. And then in living in that world, we have all of the um, emotional reactions related to that. The thing is, it's not actually happening. (laughs) It's only happening in our mind. So we do that with creating things that are frightening, difficult things. On the other side, we also sometimes paint beautiful pictures. Go into the cave and paint a beautiful picture, and then it's so beautiful that we want to live in the cave forever, and we build a shrine, and we marry the picture, and, you know, on and on. So similarly, you know, creating these things in our mind. And um, so, you know, what's going on up the hill behind the gate mysteriously is a one-month retreat. So uh, at Spirit Rock, um, there are shorter retreats. There's you know, weekend retreats and three-day retreats, five-day, seven-day, ten-day. And then every wintertime, February and March, they have a month-long retreat for February and for March. And if you want, you could do both months, February and March. And basically what those guys are doing up there is what we did in the morning, sitting and walking, minus as much talking as I'm doing now, um, and then repeat uh, 
on and on all day, <laughs> uh, and then repeat that for 30 days. So they're going sitting and walking, sitting and walking. And when you go on retreat like that, um, even when you go on shorter retreats, it's a couple days, five days, it's really helpful to um, be in this environment. It's kind of like a lab environment, actually, in which you're removing all of your usual cues about like who you are. Uh, you're in silence, so nobody's calling you by your name, or you don't have the chance to like project who you are and all this stuff about yourself. So it actually really helps, is, is really interesting to see like, well, who am I once I let go of all that stuff? Of like who I think I am, who other people think I am, you know, who I'm wanting to be, like what's left? You know, who am I uh, as a person, as a human being? What is this life? And then you get to see basically all of the uh, lunacy of the mind <laughs> playing out in uh, living color. Uh, and you get to see like what are the ways in which through the, our mind and body, like we create happiness, we create suffering. So one of these phenomenon uh, is something that is uh, called the vipassana romance. So this is where, uh, and you probably, maybe you still have this on the day long, you could be still having this. You see some small glimpse of someone, something about them that you like, and then uh, you think like, oh look, they're, they're so mindful and aware, they seem really present, and uh, I like this thing about them. And, then you see them doing walking meditation. Oh, they're walking so slowly and nicely. And, you know, then you think like, oh, maybe I'll go talk to them afterwards and I bet we'll have a really good conversation. And then, um, and then maybe I'll ask them out and then you know, um, we'll go to dinner and we'll have a very uh, nice spiritual meal together. We'll be eating mindfully and then uh, we'll probably have a relationship and then we'll move into our apartment. We'll have a nice shrine in the apartment. <laughs> And uh, you imagine how the layout is. We'll get this tanka there, this nice thing, you know, and stuff. Anyway, so basically, like, you've painted this whole picture, like, from basically nothing. Like, you see their socks or something, right? <laughs> and boom, you're off and running, living in your imaginary world of this thing. Like, you haven't said the first word to this person. I've been on a lot of retreats, and it's very interesting to notice, like, the, the opposite can happen, too. There's someone, and suddenly you project a lot of negative things on them. You know, they, like, unconsciously knock your shoe or something like that, and then suddenly they become like your enemy and you know all this stuff and um it's just the mind making things up you know it's like not there's there's like no reality to any of this it's just the projections of the mind so you can see how we can create these different worlds and um live in them and they're totally fictitious uh the projections that we have about people and and a lot of the times we're living in these projections and these fantasies you know about ourselves about others we're not actually able to live in the present in the reality of what's going on So a lot of times when you have these recurring thoughts about things, so you're replaying something that happened or you're imagining what's going to happen or something like that, you know, if, the first thing, the helpful thing is if you can bring awareness to knowing that's going on. Do you know that you're thinking? You don't have to not think, but you have to know that you're thinking. It's helpful to know that you're thinking. So do you know that thinking is happening? And remember what I said, that the mind, it's just thinking is just the mind receiving some mental object, right? A thought, an image. That's what's happening. And then it goes away, and then something else happens, and it goes away. And then there are the emotions. So emotions, moods, feelings. Usually there's a mental component to them. There also is a physical component. So usually if you feel, for example, sadness, uh, you can feel that in the body somewhere. And you can experience that 
as an experience of direct sensations. So sadness feels different than happiness. How do you know if you're sad or you're happy? You can feel it. So you can feel how it is in the mind. You can feel how it is in the body. So for example, maybe with sadness, there's a sense of um, contraction in the heart or a warmth. Uh, Maybe there's a tingling going on. So you can actually just bring your attention directly into the experience of that. Again, just like if I stuck my hand into the glass of water and know, like, what is sadness like? Uh, Knowing that experience of it as it moves through you. Because, as I mentioned before, because everything's always changing, everything always moves through. And it's just like being with a weather pattern or a system as it moves through. So as, as you have some different thoughts that come up, the first thing is it's helpful to be able to know that there's thoughts. For the ones that are recurring thoughts, usually there's actually some uh, kind of emotion underneath of that, if you will. And our attention is usually drawn to the thinking pattern, to the content of the thought. The instruction uh, of awareness here is not to be drawn into the content of the thought, but rather to examine, to investigate the emotional energy underneath of that that's actually driving that. So it's kind of like the thoughts about it are kind of like the shell. And inside of that is some, uh, usually uh, to some extent intense or uh, some kind of recurring emotional energy that is unattended to. So bring your awareness to that experience of emotion. And I'm kind of motioning a lot here because oftentimes it's like in the body that you can feel it, like in the heart, in the belly, in the torso. I mean, other places you can feel it too, but that's a particularly strong place to look for uh, emotion to attend to. So in the beginning with the practice of emotions, it's just helpful to start to become aware of whatever the emotion is. So this is like learning how to read, actually. You know, it's like, oh, this is sadness. Okay, this is happiness. This is anger. This is excitement. So it might seem like pretty easy to do, but actually for many people, uh, there's a lack of awareness to what particular emotion is present until it becomes kind of level 10, very strong. So it's helpful to learn to read these emotions um, at the lower volume levels, shall we say, you know, at the different levels as they start to emerge. So the more we're connected to our experience, the more we can be there to notice when there's the beginning of sadness coming, you know, when there's the beginning of anger coming, uh, when there's the beginning of happiness. And we, so we can be there and be present and see that uh, arising crescendo passing away. So if you think about things that you've done in your life, for example, that you regret, Probably, if you reflect on it, there was some impulse that was driving you that you didn't, uh, you weren't as aware of at the moment, right? Like there was some impulse of either you know being mad at someone, and then you said something you regret, or um, feeling scared and then lashing out, or something like that. Now, if you had had the experience of awareness, if you had been able to know, like, oh, this is fear here, this is anger then the idea is that then you actually might have some more um, ability to make wise choices around what you're going to do from that, too. So that gives you some freedom. So I, I mentioned this, um, this thing about the middle, the middle way, the middle path, 
which is one of the ways in which the Buddha's teachings are referred to. And what this means in relationship to emotions is that um, you're neither repressing the emotion, like pushing it away, pretending it's not there, um, neither are you exploding with the emotion, so venting it, uh, taking it out on someone. So for most people, those are the two uh, different options that they know of, is either to push it down, pretend it's not there, or to vent it in some way. So this middle way is actually to bring awareness to that, so totally be present with it, allow it to live out its energetic life, not squash it whatsoever at all. But the not squashing it doesn't mean that you have to act out upon it. You can be totally present with it, totally know that, uh, be with it, and then choose, like, oh, okay, is this a wise thing to do? Is this a not wise thing to do? Is this an emotion that's going to lead to uh, helpful action or not helpful action? So there is in this path some uh, development of wisdom that is around choice. So being able to decide, like, oh, when... uh, you know, obsessive jealousy comes up. Is that something that I want to live from, act from, be from? Or is that something that I want to try to let go of? Uh, when compassion comes up, because a lot of emotions are also positive mind states, right? Love, kindness, generosity, so on. Um, knowing that that's what's there. And then knowing that that is, is actually a helpful one to cultivate, to have there. Right? And then you could decide what action to take based on that. But the first step is actually knowing what's here, knowing what is actually present. And uh, so the metaphor that um, I like to use about this is like a, you know, it's like your mind, your heart, and I should say that in Buddhism, the mind and the heart is the same word, which is true in many Asian cult- cultures. So I'm using that a little in English, maybe a little confusing interchangeably, but imagine it's the same thing. So suppose your, your mind, heart is a train station, and these different trains of thought or emotion pull through, right? And for the untrained mind, basically what happens is you get on every single train that comes through. <laughs> so this is what happens in your sitting practice, as you notice. Now, if you ask someone in the street if this is true, they're probably saying no. But even those of you who have just sat here for half an hour before, you notice, like, you're not really in control of what's happening. Suddenly you're thinking about this, and then you're thinking about that, and then you're remembering your childhood, and then you're obsessing about what you're going to do, and then, right? It's just all playing out. So that's, that's the way it is. The untrained mind gets on every single train, doesn't know where it's going, and it could be going to obsessive jealousyville or it could be going to you know, beautiful generosityville, and you don't know until you get there. Right? And then you're like, oh, I don't want to really be there again. You know, like planning how to stalk my ex again or something. Right? Like, but I didn't want to do that again. How did that happen? Right? So it happened because you weren't able to see that that was the, the train of thought, the train of mind, the train of heart that you were getting onto. You did not see that. You weren't able to read that, and so then you were off and running. So it's helpful, and this is part of the, the development of insight practice, to learn how to read the signs, to learn how to read these energies of the emotion, read these energies of intention. Right? Um, and it takes practice to do that. So um, I had uh, spent some time in Sri Lanka when I was um, training in meditation in some monasteries and things, and in traveling there. Uh, I grew up here, so I, I knew how to speak like conversationally okay, but I didn't really know how to read very well. And the buses there would have uh, written on the top of them the location to where they're going, their destination. Um, and you had to like flag the bus down if you wanted to get on it. You're standing by the side of the road and flag it or not. 
And so I'd be trying to get a bus to go somewhere, and um, I would read kind of like a first grader would read, like really slowly. So, you know, the bus would be coming, and I'd be reading like, na, ra, then, right. You know, the bus would be gone before I could finish reading the word. So I was like, was that my bus? Was it not my bus? I don't know, you know. Like, ku, ru, na, right. It was gone again. And then I would start to guess sometimes, like the first letter was like, cool, okay, that looks like the right, so I'd flag it, I'd get on, then I'd finish reading inside, and then, oh, this was not my bus, then I had to get down and stuff. Um, so I ended up spending a lot of time like getting on the wrong bus, it was very confusing, getting off here, getting on here. But eventually I learned how to read better. So I, I studied it, I got my cousins to help me, and um, so then once I could read well, I could see the bus coming, and it was like, oh, okay, Kuru Nagala, that is not my bus. Naramala, that is my bus. Raise hand, get on the bus, right? Goes much more smoothly. So like this, you can learn to read, you know, the thoughts, the emotions that come through your, your mind, your heart, your body. But it takes training. And in the beginning, you will be, end up like on a lot of wrong <laughs> buses, trains, right? Kind of like I did. Um, but that's all part of the training. And actually part of the training is to... Uh, Wherever you end up, you know, if it's in like obsessive jealousy, will like take a good look with awareness at what that train has taken you to. You know, like the landscape is bleak. <laughs> it is not a place that you want to go very often. You do not want to live there. You do not want to move there, right? So practice knowing what that's like, and you can feel it in your body, in your mind, in your heart as that comes through. Like feel the contraction of that. You know, feel how that feels separate and um, feel the obsessive nature of that, you know. And then the other side, feel the, the, the positive ones, the wholesome ones, like compassion or generosity. Like feel what it feels like in that spaciousness, in that sense of connection. You know, start to know that more and more. So you basically can develop this, your ability to read your mind, your body, your heart. You know, uh, you, know you have to some extent, you know, like we teach little kids to say, like, I am angry, I am sad, I am happy, right? People have to different extents, some amount of emotional intelligence. But what I'm talking about is a much more nuanced level than what most people have. Uh, with uh, being able to read much sooner, uh, much faster, and with which much more wisdom, uh, everything that comes through your mind-body process. So if you can do this, it will be a great benefit to yourself because you will be able to then eventually let go of those trains that you don't want to be on. So obsessive jealousy train comes through. You're like, don't want to get on that one. I know where that's going. I know what that looks like. That is nothing I want to board. <laughs> Let it go, right? Uh, generosity train comes through. That's a good one. Get on board. Let that one go, right? And then eventually, this, this pr practice is actually a, a process of uh, purification. It's a purification of your mind and heart. So this is what is uh, what changes eventually is that Wisdom develops, and through wisdom, as you don't, as you avoid getting onto all these other trains, uh, just like in a train station, if no one's getting on the trains, they stop running them. Right? If no one's getting on. Why should they run the train? Right? So your train schedule can change, and basically start to cultivate more and more of the wholesome states, these positive states, um, and letting go of these other ones. Um, and it actually will change your experience of your mind stream, which can only be good for you and for everyone that you encounter for the rest of your life. So this is possible. This is actually a spiritual technology <laughs> brought to you by a 2,600-year-old spiritual tradition. Uh, and that's what we're practicing here today. Uh, this is the beginnings of it. It definitely takes practice. It's probably uh, harder than learning how to read Sinhalese characters, but <laughs> not necessarily, you know. Um, 
depends on your interest, your aptitude, uh, and just really practicing, you know, continuing to practice. So being really, um, again, really kind to yourself, really compassionate with yourself, very patient um, as you learn this practice. But know that it's possible um, to do that. So when we sit, and I actually will, will um, give you a little bit of guidance and sort of, we're going to sort of artificially call up a few emotions to see if something to practice with a little bit. Um, so you can feel things a bit, and then we can uh, see how it goes. So you can sit in the, the, the posture that's, that's helpful is one in which you can feel alert and relaxed. So don't sit in a posture that will make you fall asleep immediately, particularly not after lunch. <laughs> uh, but also, hopefully you're not you know, terribly uncomfortable from the start. It's difficult if you're uncomfortable from the very start. <coughs> Chairs are totally legitimate ways to sit. I sit in a chair most of the time now. If you sit in a chair, sometimes it's helpful to think about it like, um, you know, for the stability of posture, it's like a tripod. So like your butt is one point of groundedness, your two legs are two points. So that provides you sort of a stability of body. Right? Um, if you're sitting cross-legged, then oftentimes it's sort of like the knees or legs and the butt, or if you're sitting on a bench type thing, which is also good. There's the kneeling connection to the ground. Many times people find it helpful to have a somewhat upright spine also, because when you're slumped down, then you tend to be less alert. So you can imagine sort of something pulling you up from your spine here. So you're upright, your full dignified human posture. And you can take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, just try to relax into your posture. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.